there was a family, there was a group of families on a housing estate where four families were sharing one smartphone. So I'm not entirely sure we need to look at other countries or other markets. We have people who cannot engage right now with what we're dealing with. How do you get it right here when actually society is polarised? This is Energy in Conversation, a look into our energy future through the eyes of people leading the way. I'm your host, Dean Somerville. Today we're talking about how energy is going digital. In the UK, just about everything has now been through a digital switchover, from banking to TV to public transport. And it's time for energy to catch up. In part one, we'll talk about the vision for the future at the household and system level, and see how smart meters are the foundation of it all. In part two, we explore how to get there and potential bumps in the road when it comes to data and getting everyone on board. This episode comes from a UK perspective, but the ideas we discuss are applicable in lots of places. Specifically, we'll be talking about the electricity as well as heating used in homes. In light of the urgency of climate change, the UK government has set a goal to reduce overall greenhouse gas emissions to zero by 2050, a target that's called net zero. Home energy use emits a lot of CO2, around 20% of total UK emissions. In the meantime, many households in the UK live in circumstances that make them particularly vulnerable to getting a poor energy deal, for instance, health or financial difficulties. Today we talk about all kinds of consumers, but we'll have a particular focus on vulnerable households. Both of today's guests work for organizations that are making sure all UK households are included in this digital energy future. For a start, we ask them, what do we mean when we say digital energy switchover? Thanks for having me. I'm Dara Vias. I'm Head of Future Energy Services at Citizens Advice. People use the terms digital and smart quite interchangeably. And I guess they're just things that use internet-enabled communications to help things work better. So it's about how these internet-enabled communications are working with the energy system. Okay, so this switchover means we'll be using more devices in our homes that can connect via the internet and respond to outside signals as well as user inputs. But what kind of devices are we talking about? People with smart meters can understand how much energy they're using and why they're using it. People with smart thermostats and bulbs and smart plugs, they can remotely control um, switching on and off their heating, switching on and off their electrical appliances and their lighting in their home. And also people with smart speakers, you know, that's not an energy product, but people are using their Alexa or their Google Home to switch their lights on and off. Being able to control our heating while we're out or switch on the lights if we're going to get home after dark are useful, but the real impact of the digital switchover of energy is what it means at the system level. Let's ask our next guest. I'm Robert Cheeseright. I'm the Director of Corporate Affairs at Smart Energy GB. So I think digitising energy use is it's a really interesting area because it's probably the last sector, the last fully national sector that hasn't been digitised, whether it's mobile telephony or television. We had the digital TV switch over now, well over a decade ago. So it feels like the last bastion, really, of analogue. And I think in reality, it changes everything. And I don't think we've really grasped yet all the ways it will change things. People talk a lot about digital technologies revolutionising energy use. What does that mean to you? Digitisation can can make the market work for people so they get a better deal. How it can give people information to 
change their energy use, how it can help our, our grid balance demand so that we, we don't need to build more fossil fuel power stations. So everything from what it means to the individual consumer and how they run their home all the way through to what it means for the planet as a whole, I think it's going to be completely transformative. As Rob points out, the digital energy switchover has impacts from the household level all the way up to the system level, all based on what Dara calls internet-enabled communications. In other words, the devices in our homes that use energy will be linked up with the wider energy system, from electricity generation to the national grid and beyond. But what are they communicating, and how does that enable the great things that Rob listed? Getting a better deal, helping our grid balance demand, and reducing the need for more fossil fuel power stations. As Rob sees it, unlocking these benefits begins with the smart meter, the digital upgrade of your standard analog gas and electricity meters. A mass rollout of smart meters is underway in the UK, with energy suppliers obliged to offer them to all homes and small businesses across the country by 2024. Smart Energy GB, where Rob works, is the not-for-profit in charge of communicating the smart meter rollout to the UK public. So we asked him what smart meters are and what they can do. A smart meter, it does two things. It measures the amount of energy that your home is using at any one time. And then the smart bit is it sends that energy data somewhere, either to your energy supplier so they can bill you, or to you in your in-home display, or if you consent to it, to an app uh, or to the cloud. But also that puts the power in your hands. You have the data upon which to make choices. So it's, it's data. That's what a smart meter is really at its heart. Claire and I are here checking out the smart meter display in our home. The main screen that if we use this regularly, we would have it normally on is the dual fuel screen because we get both our gas and electricity that we can see on here. So on the next screen, you can see the cost per hour for, again, it's still the dual fuel screen. So you can see electricity on one side and gas on the other. And right now it's popping up on the electricity side saying we're in eco mode, which I don't, I guess it just means we're not using very much electricity. No, I put the house in eco mode. <laughs> Rather than sport mode? Yeah. Um, and gas, apparently we're not using any gas right now, so our boiler must have kicked off. But the history is potentially one of the more interesting places to look, where you can actually see your history over the past nine days by week, over the past six weeks, and then over the past 13 months. I think my favorite one is the how much am I using right now readout. It's more immediate. I can see when I turn an appliance on or off how much it's using. One of the screens on our smart meter display showed us our energy tariff. If we were on a plan that varied our price based on real-time energy costs, that price signal could be sent to our smart meter and would show up on our in-home display. This price signal or time of use tariff is really important for balancing supply and demand in the electricity system. In most countries, including the UK, ramping electricity supply up and down in any significant way currently requires turning on more fossil fuel power plants, which is an expensive exercise in times of very high peak demand. Essentially, all the less expensive, usually lower carbon sources are already generating power, so the price increases as the remaining expensive options are switched on. But most consumers like myself are on a single rate electricity plan or tariff, so don't have to pay more when electricity is expensive to produce. That gives me no financial incentive to change when I use energy. I just use appliances when I feel like it. 
One way energy suppliers can encourage their customers to not use so much electricity during these busy, expensive times, particularly evenings, is to vary our electricity prices to reflect the actual market prices. Large users like industrial consumers already do this. For households, a very simplified time-of-use tariff has been used since the 1970s. It essentially gives customers two energy prices, a higher one during the day and evening, and a cheaper one overnight, from about midnight to 7 a.m. Customers on this type of tariff pay less if they shift their electricity consumption away from peak times and into the overnight period, when there's lower demand on the system. For example, you might switch on your washing machine just before you go to bed, knowing your price will be lower overnight. Energy customers on this kind of tariff, with older analog meters, have to pay attention. You have to know when your electricity is cheaper and remember to hold off on the laundry until then. Not everybody has the time, interest, or awareness of their energy use and costs to make this work for them. Enter the smart meter. Not only is it measuring your energy use and reporting that to your supplier, but it's finding out in real time what the cost of electricity is and sending that information to your in-home display. The, the key thing that the smart meter gives you is the price signal to make it work really well and so that it's properly integrated into our energy system. And that if you've got a smart appliance, it needs to know when is a good time for our energy system. And the best way to do that is with a time of use tariff that says energy is going to be three pence per kilowatt hour in this period. For context, that's cheap. Everything should then automatically go on. I think smart meters are essential. Um, but I think the end goal has to be, can we integrate it all from generation all the way through to the individual customer so it works together in concert. Appliances like a washing machine, dishwasher, or refrigerator have some flexibility in when they can run, so can automatically switch on when the electricity price is at its lowest, saving you money. The best one I've seen, because it's the most British thing ever, a smart kettle. You can boil the kettle, so you have your cup of tea, but also charge it. So then when you next want a cup of tea, let's say it's... 7.30 in the morning when there's a bit more pressure on the grid. Instead of boiling the kettle there, your energy use probably being met by fossil fuels, you just use what's in that battery in your kettle. So you get cheap energy and you're benefiting the system. This brings much bigger benefits in terms of carbon emissions too. We'll get into that a bit later. All of these digital energy technologies will help better integrate our household demand with the supply side of the electricity system. Now that we've got an idea of what smart meters are and functionally what they can do, how do we benefit? Digitalization um, of home energy could really create a great customer experience. It could and should make people engage with the way that they're using one of our most precious commodities to actually, I understand what I'm using. This is how my vehicle, my car is charging and this is how I'm going to use the energy in my home. I'm going to make sure I do my laundry when there's the most renewable energy on the grid and it's cheapest. That to me is uh, such a positive future that we can all look forward to. This future sounds really great but it also sounds like it might involve more effort for you and me. Right now, saving money on energy is easiest for consumers who pay attention, or in other words, are engaged. One of the few ways of engaging with the energy market right now is doing research about what energy plans are available from different suppliers, and if you can, switching suppliers to get a cheaper plan. But there's a big question as this all goes digital. Will we all have to become engaged consumers to benefit? So what we have now is essentially two types of customer, the unengaged customers and engaged customers. But when we've got automated switching and 24-hour switching, 
you don't need to be an engaged customer to engage in the energy market anymore. And what we now actually need is effortlessly engaged customers, customers that engage in the market without doing anything themselves. The system helps them do that. So I think that's where we're moving. And I think that's really important for vulnerable people, people that often fuel poor, prepayment customers, all of those groups of people that, that most require the energy system to be different than it has been in the past. Smart meters and prepay are transformative. Prepay customers who um, don't top up, it's called self-disconnection. But what we know is the vast majority of people who self-disconnect don't do it because they can't afford to top up. They do it just because of chaos. They just forgot to do it on their way home from work and then they're in the middle of cooking dinner and the gas goes off and they just think, oh God, I totally forgot to do that. And they have to go to the shop. So it's inconvenient, right? And it's the chaos of normal, everyday, modern living that makes it inconvenient. So being able to just go on your phone or top up in you know using a website makes a huge difference one of the most powerful stories i ever heard i was doing a radio interview with bbc uh, liverpool and this person called up and he was quite emotional and he said my dad uh, he's a prepayment customer and now i can top up his meter remotely so i know that my dad's okay and he's got enough energy and you know i'm just so thankful for my smart meter so i think for, for vulnerable people the power of the smart meter in and of itself is is amazing when you can start giving people really granular, detailed energy advice that's based on their home and their circumstances, that's when you can really start to save the money. So the digital energy switchover has the potential to save people money and energy at the household level. But what's revolutionary is that it also makes these benefits accessible to customers who need them the most. It also makes it easier for folks who don't want to think about energy, for energy geeks, and everyone in between. And for the 1 in 10 UK households that are living in fuel poverty, which generally means a combination of high heating bills and low income, maybe they won't have to choose between heating and eating in the future. Now let's hear more from Rob about what this means at the system level. You know, since the start of this year and probably for the next few years, we'll be explaining how smart meters are crucial for our energy system as a whole and frankly what it means for the planet. So now when we survey people, they know what a smart meter is, they know what they do, but what they don't know is really what they're the foundation of. So people think they're just an energy efficiency tool that helped me save a few pounds on my bills. And, and that's, that's a true thing, but that's not actually what they're for. You know, what they're for is providing the grid with essential services for enabling us to have more electric vehicles in our system. A crucial part of the story as to how we decarbonise heat, which is the big challenge when it comes to energy and, and decarbonisation. To explain the the full story of why smart meters are so important, you actually need to explain how the energy system works a little bit. Okay, so let's do it. Explain how the energy system works a little bit. Remember the UK has set this target to eliminate or offset carbon emissions by 2050. One of the main strategies for achieving this is a two-step process. First, clean up electricity generation. Second, electrify as much as you can. Big progress has been made, switching over to renewable and gas power generation and the proportion of renewables continues to increase. The tricky part is the electrification of heat and transport. We'll talk a lot more about heat in our next episode, so tune in in a couple weeks. Because of the way our grid is set up and natural patterns in energy use, electrifying heat and transport could result in huge peaks in demand, which the system can't keep up with. Rob uses electric vehicles to illustrate how a digital energy system could make this work better. The story that I tell is, you know, we could all come home from work on a winter's evening, plug our electric vehicles in, and it will be a disaster. Or there's a really cool thing we could do, which is with a smart meter, we could be rewarded for using a smart charger that automates 
and staggers that energy use across the evening so that we're charging our electric vehicle up overnight, that energy is likely to be based on renewables and it's likely to be cheap. So we get money in our pocket for, for using cheap energy. The system benefits and eventually the planet benefits. But a lot of that you can't do without the foundation of smart meters first because it's the time of use tariffs and the low control in smart meters that enables some of that stuff to happen. Time of use tariffs, you can get at different prices at different time of day. And then low control, low control is essentially the ability with, with your consent as a customer and always with your consent as a customer to say, I'm happy if it's needed for the system, interrupt my electric vehicle charging for a short period if the grid needs it. And you'll pay me for it, by the way. I'll get some reward for it, but I'm also providing a service to the bigger system. So it's with those two things, time of use tariffs and load control, that you've got the foundation for all the cool stuff that we need to do to save us money and, and get to net zero. It's a lot to take in, but so are the scale and pace of change we need to clean up our energy system and take better care of vulnerable consumers. And as Rob and Dara explained, we may find that the customer experience becomes easier rather than more complicated because of new digital services which automate a lot of this complicated stuff. But we're not there yet. Before we get into part two, this podcast is a new project for us, and we want to know what you think. We're giving away a £100 voucher to one lucky reviewer, so please share your honest feedback on Apple Podcasts or tweet to at Energy Institute by the 17th of December. We'll announce the winner in the new year. And now, on to part two. In part one, Dara and Rob showed us how energy is going digital and how this could benefit individuals and wider society. So how are we going to make this happen? I think um, in terms of the consumer experience, we need to get some of the fundamentals right. I think we need to accept that not everybody has the same understanding or access or awareness of digital technologies. And we have to make sure that um, the transition to using these sorts of things is done fairly. So, for example, um, 5.3 million people in the UK, that's adults, are not internet users. These are quite big figures, and it's quite important that we consider everybody as we talk about this issue. Just as every consumer is different, there is no single answer to making sure everyone benefits from energy going digital. But with that many people not using technologies like the internet, how can we make sure that everyone gets involved in some way in this digital energy switchover? So I think the entire energy system has to change. We've got smart meters being fitted in every home. I think we're going to people are going to all respond differently depending on who they are and what their lives are like. And I think that it's okay. I think it's okay for people to opt to use these things more or less than others. 17% of people owned a smartphone a decade ago. And in 2018, that figure was 78%. There's no way that all those people with a smartphone are using it in the same way. And nor should everybody with a smart meter use it in the same way. What we should be doing is using the data from smart meters sensibly, whether that's people in their homes using it to make their homes more energy efficient, making sure they're buying and using their products properly in their home, whether that's your TV or your lighting, um, as well as the system benefits. So making sure that actually we're running an efficient system across the UK. The availability of energy data leaves a lot of scope for new players in energy to fundamentally change and improve customer experience. More detailed energy use data gives energy companies an opportunity to understand their customers better. They can tailor support and communication to them, even offer face-to-face -face help if needed, and more easily see how innovations can help them. Dar introduced one example of this earlier, smart prepayment, which makes it easier for people to avoid accidentally disconnecting their energy. 
Some companies have already started to compete in this area, using energy data to provide tailored energy-saving advice, and even do things like identify when an appliance is starting to fail. Most of what we're talking about here is based on collecting and using energy data. For this transition to get everyone involved and have the biggest benefits, people will need to be confident that their energy data is safe. You know, in the future energy market, our homes are going to potentially be able to do lots of interesting, exciting things. And we need to be confident that not only is data uh, securely stored and used, but you also have control over it. So the smart meter data itself is collected uh, by default a, a daily. You can opt out for that to be monthly or you can opt in for that to be half hourly. That is mostly used for billing. That is your household energy usage that doesn't go down to appliance level. However, if you choose to have products and services in your house that interact with your smart meter, you're beginning to build up a bit of a better picture. And that data could be shared with lots of different people, depending on what you've agreed. What our research tells us is that people are happy to share data, but they do become concerned when it can be pieced together that gives more of a picture of your life because there are concerns that that compromises security and safety. So, say you want to reduce your energy bills, but you've already done all the easy stuff like switching off lights and keeping your heating temperature down. Maybe you've even sealed up your drafty windows or installed better ones. You might decide to give a company access to your energy data so they can help you understand your energy use better and give you advice. To do this, they will explicitly analyze your data at a level of detail that will probably let them identify when individual appliances are turned on and off. If they didn't, they wouldn't be able to give you such useful advice. It's certainly a trade-off, but it's also one that we're familiar with. Any kind of mapping software works this way. You let them see where you are so that they can give you directions. And that's giving them something, but you also get something out of that. When it comes to smart meter data, there is a really strong data access and privacy framework in place that governs the way that your smart meter data itself is used. But I think as we get more and more products and services in our homes that are not necessarily going via the smart meter, that will change things. What we do know is that there are certain things around data that give people comfort. So for example, we have some research coming out that says 89% of people consider the ability to opt out of sharing data via their smart meter is important, even if they don't use it. So who currently uses energy data and benefits from it? And who do you expect will benefit from it in the long term? In the analogue world, I suppose no one really was benefiting from data. And I think that's always worth stating that before you look at who the beneficiaries are in the future. So as I say, the customer is in control of their energy use data unless they share it. But I think energy suppliers, once more and more people have smart meters, are going to get so much more sophisticated at using that data. Every innovator who wants to, to play in energy will, will be able to benefit. What we're increasingly seeing in the energy market is that people coming to the market, whether it's as a, an energy supplier or something else entirely, aren't energy companies. They're data companies that happen to be in the energy market. And I think that's going to be the way of the future. I mean, it sort of sounds a little bit motherhood and apple pie, but I think we'll all become the beneficiaries of the data. So I will be using it directly in my home on an app and or with Alexa or whatever else. But I know my supplier will be using it to change the way they provide the service. And I know that a third party that I've given the data to will be using it. I know that the next time I use a switching site using my smart data, they will be using it. The switching sites Rob mentions look at your energy use, search for the best deals based on that use, and can switch you automatically to a cheaper plan. Energy suppliers themselves are coming up with clever ways to use smart meter data. 
There are tariffs now that allow customers to save money if they actively shift their electricity use to times of lower cost. This kind of plan particularly benefits engaged customers, those who are either paying attention or have larger electricity demands from an electric vehicle or a storage heater. So who else can benefit? You know, when we're talking about 24-hour switching, automated switching, new people coming to the market, competition will be so much more vibrant or automated if you don't pass through the savings from digitization, not just from smart meters, but from all of the, 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 the ways in which digitization is coming, you will become uncompetitive instantly. That's the thing that means I'm actually really quite confident that those benefits will accrue to everyone, but then flow to the customer. So how do we make sure that we distribute both the costs and benefits of this digital energy transition fairly? Regardless of whether we're talking about electricity or heating, what we do need to think about is how we take everyone with us. There's, there's two main things. One is the question of fairness when it comes to paying for the transition. And the other is the need to really make sure that anybody who wants to access it is able to and has options and isn't left behind. So who's responsible for making sure that's handled fairly and how do they do that? So I think on the, the first question about how we fairly pay for it, I think there's a huge question here for government to tackle. We've been calling for the Treasury to set up an independent commission to consider the fairest way to pay for the energy transition. And the other is to ensure that consumer protections are built in from the outset. We don't know what the future energy market is really going to look like. And we need to make sure that it's not rigid. We need to make sure that innovators and disruptors can engage with this market to improve it, to make it better for everybody. But look, I think we need to be really mindful. Whatever happens, it remains an essential for life service. There's a role for government, the regulator, and consumer protection agencies like Citizens Advice in making sure vulnerable consumers get taken along and don't pay for more than their share of the digital energy switchover. But it's also a challenge to get the rest of the population to buy in, because most people are not that interested in how they use energy at home. It's always important to remember what the smart meter roller is. It's a low interest thing. No one cares about their meter. If I wasn't involved in smart metering, I suspect changing my meter wouldn't be in my top 10 or 20 things. So I think that's a big barrier to getting a smart meter is, you know, we need people to really understand how important it is to get one and why it really matters. And then I think the second one is, um, you know, the reality of infrastructure upgrades is that they're hard. They take a long time. Things don't always work as you would like. So that's been a barrier. And then whenever wherever anyone has a piece of technology that doesn't work, they tell someone, they write to the Telegraph or the Daily Mail. <laughs> uh, so we there are there are real challenges to overcome with an infrastructure upgrade. So that has been something that has had a big effect on whether people want them. One of the main hiccups with the rollout of smart meters in the UK was that the first generation of smart meters didn't always continue working after a customer changed suppliers. This has now been fixed but it takes time to live down those reputational impacts. Rob believes this is par for the course with an infrastructure upgrade, and it's only a matter of time before these reservations are overcome. Because the proof is in the pudding. The pudding, in this case, is the savings. In a way, the best thing that can tackle them is when innovation comes, and it's just so obvious. When your next door neighbor says, I've got an electric vehicle, and I've got a, a smart charger, and I've got time of use tariffs, and my energy bill went down 300 pounds this year, then, then I don't think, oh, I think I'm out of a job at that point. I don't think I'm needed to communicate why smart meters are important. I just think it becomes a no-brainer. And that's just a matter of time. So I'm really hopeful for the future of the smart meter rollout. We should be really proud that we've digitized 
you know, about a third of our energy system. We have got a lot of consumer appetite for this. So it's going better than sometimes the most negative voices would lead us to believe. Maybe most people won't ever be totally psyched about their energy meters. But as they start seeing the benefits roll in, hopefully people will see one of the many reasons to get involved. Let's wrap up with a few points from our guests about what actions will make this digital switchover live up to its potential. Many of the benefits of the smart meter rollout are contingent on people making changes to their way that they behave and saving money. So the smart meter installation should have a focus on energy efficiency advice. If people don't have the information they need to use the data that they're getting from their smart meter, they can't make changes to their homes. And the benefits of the smart meter rollout are all really contingent on people using the information to make those savings. Look, you know, we're all paying for it. We're all paying for the smart meter rollout. So let's do it once and let's get it right. We love to complain, whether it's around energy and how awful things are or the challenges of the smart meter rollout. Actually, there's so much to be enthusiastic about. Things are about to get really, really good in energy over the next 10, 20, 30 years with the innovation that's coming. Energy is about to get interesting and sexy and cheap and low carbon in a way that it never has before. Get on board and buy into it, because if you do, the rewards for us all as individuals and households, but then the country and the planet, are going to be remarkable. A big thank you to Dara Vias and Rob Cheeswright. Tune in next time to find out about low carbon heating. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Twitter to help other listeners find us. Energy in Conversation is brought to you by the Energy Institute. This episode was produced by Sarah George and Essen Saren. Music on this episode is by Jack Keeney. I'm your host, Dean Somerville. Yeah, that's really tough. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the question I've been dreading. Um, my energy superpower would be to somehow be able to help everyone to be as enthusiastic about this as as we should be, because it's really, really cool. The rollout of energy geeks. <laughs> That's what we need. Yeah. <laughs>